this episode has been brought to you respectfully by Tony's King of Pizza on Ben Salem Boulevard. That's right, Tony's King of Pizza. And for a limited time, you can get two large pizzas for $19.99 if you mention the Brutal Dudes podcast. So all you motherfuckers get out there, go to Tony's, mention us, give us some shine, and you'll get two large pizzas for $19.99. Tony's King of Pizza on Ben Salem Boulevard. Pizza made fit for a king. Shout out, Tony. Fucking perfect. All right, cool. There's our commercial. There's our first read, Nailed it. Nailed it. Loved it. Do you have a preferred song, Diane, that you would like us to intro in with the Brutal Dudes? I love music. I love all kinds of music. Oh, my goodness. I, You know, I, I, I just love all music. So just pick something that you love that reminds you a little. You know that there's a girl band called Ovois Simone and Paul called. Well, I'll talk about this maybe in the in the podcast. But there's a, 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 just play something that you love that's really happy, or maybe just one of the tune from da 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 I am Mike. J Mac. Brutal dudes. And we have a very special guest. I'm super excited that you came on the show. Please introduce yourself. Well, hi. I'm <laughs> Simone. Kiwi and I just want to wish you the best day of your life today. And I want you to follow your dreams. That's the most important thing, is that you follow your dreams. And Pee Wee taught me that in The Dinosaur. <laughs> that's great. Amazing. That's a, that's the coolest thing ever. <clears throat> it is. I it is. absolutely love this movie. We used to watch this movie when we were in college. Mm-hmm. We would go to the mountains. And nobody believed me that my cousin can recite it from front to back from the oh. opening credits scene all the way through nonstop. Because Does he do the different voices? Yes. Nice. 100%. He's so dedicated to doing this movie. Oh, that's he, so great. He's been watching it since he was, I'm talking, he was like a four-year-old kid. And oh, he was the movie. It's amazing to me how he still remembers it. I, and I, And the best part is, like, I can pick up any, like, we'll be walking... We'll be walking down street. We'll be going to like a like a like a Phillies game, and a line. You know how that happens sometimes when you're like a line will come up. You'll hear mm-hmm. somebody say something mm-hmm. that's like from the movie. It's like I know you are, but what am I? Yes. And then he'll jump into whatever scene that line is from, and he'll just start, start going. Doing yeah, it's the rest of the movie from that point forward. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> and it, the funny thing to me is like so many people just randomly know what movie he's doing just from those scenes and we all crack up i want to give a shout out to him his name is chris you said chris, yes all right hi chris it's simone and let's talk about your big butt huh <laughs> that is amazing oh he's gonna love it i love <laughs> it that's for you kid that's for you that's for you chris 
<laughs> oh man, yeah. I so love that you. I love that you watched this movie since you were four years old. That means a lot to me. Thank you so much. He's yeah. He's oh, but so so it was really awesome that you got back to us to be on the show because we you're you are technically our first screen persona that has been on the show. Oh, that's so sweet. I feel very honored. Thank we you. We're honored to have you. <laughs> so, so I, I, I guess th this kind of leads into the first question of what is that like for you to have people kind of instantly recognize you and repeat back to you and quote to you this performance that you had done? I love it, and it, it it warms my heart. It feeds my ego because we did this movie <laughs> like 38 years ago, and I think, oh, God, I haven't changed that much so people can re recognize me. <laughs> it's like, woo, 38 years later, and they still see Simone. That's that's wonderful. I, I, I love it, and it's my favorite movie I've ever done. And, you know, since Paul's untimely death um, – we there have been these screenings in LA and I do Q&A and last week I walked the red carpet at the Grumman's Chinese Theater and and with um, Greta Gerwig who wrote and directed the international sensation Barbie and oh, she wow. And she picked this, uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure is one of her top five movies that have influenced her as a writer, director, and actress, I think, too. And so, and we went in, so then she and I got to talk in the lobby after, you know, we, we had pictures on the red carpet together. And I can send these to you because they're really wonderful. And then um, uh, before the movie started, the one of the heads of AFI Film Festival came on stage and introduced Michael Varhol, who's the only one left who wrote it. Phil Hartman, God rest his soul, passed, hey. you know, that horrible way. And then Paul just did. So Michael was the last writer. And so he stood up, he was introduced. And then the guy that played the the boy biker number two and he has something to do with the afi fe festival and he stood up and he got an applause and then they said and now diane salinger and and i stood up and they went insane you know as simone and then i quieted them down and they kept going louder and louder and louder and the grumman's chinese theater is huge yeah and um, I finally got them to be, you know, somewhat quiet. And I said, I know, I don't think, but I know Paul is with us tonight. And they erupted again. <laughs> Huge applause. I'll send you the video. You may want to, you may want to play it for this podcast. It's oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely precious. Just precious. And the pictures with me and Greta, you know, just so precious. So wonderful. And she loves Pee Wee's Big Adventure. And um, she called it, you know, a stone cold classic. us tonight. I know it. 
I love that this movie, you know, 38 years later, has such an impact on people. And I have a very dear friend in New York who said this movie could not be made now because it's so innocent. I it, mean, it's innocent and yet it's not. Right. And it's and it still holds up. Like if you've never seen it, I remember I, I have a sister who's about 10 years difference in age with me. And I remember the first time she watched it, I remember her laughing hysterically. And it, I did not, she, not that she doesn't get that type of humor, but I just, I didn't expect her to find it as funny as I did. Yes. When I was growing up, because it's a it's, you know it's a ten year age gap, but she she loved it. Like we got we almost got into an argument with people at a Christmas party because we were looking for something to watch, and Pee Wee's Big Pee Wee's uh, Playhouse, the Christmas episode was available to stream, and we put it on, and they were like, there was a couple people there that were like offended that we put it on, and we're like, it's comedy. Oh God! I just, you know, I didn't know about this Christmas special, and my friend tonight is my assistant. He was over here for lunch, and he said, you know, th this Christmas special is just genius. So I want to watch it. I've never seen it, and you know, I've seen the movie because since of Paul's death, I've seen it many times now because it's being screened, and then uh, oftentimes I do a Q and A, and I have one coming up in Gardena for cancer research. Oh, right. And, um, you know, they're going to do a Q&A with me. And so I've seen it, I don't know, like three, four times in the last couple of weeks. And hey, every hey. time I notice something different. So all of you out there, all of you fans of Pee Wee's Big Adventure, see it again because you will catch things you never caught before. Every time I see it, I see new things. And it never, it, it doesn't lose its funniness in fact it kind of becomes funnier the more times you watch. <laughs> it really does <laughs> now when you were made you know you talked about it's had obviously such a big impact that's now multi-generational mm -hmm. and you have people like jimmy passing it on to his sister and things like that when you were making it did it seem any different than any other project that you would work on you are asking wonderful questions yes <laughs> yes my dear Mike, um, one day I went to the set. It was We shot it at Warner Brothers. I mean, we shot the exterior of the dinosaur at Cabasan, where now it's, the dinosaur is dressed like Pee Wee. Oh, and, that's um, awesome. And, and then, you know, at the Alamo, they shot that there, and then they shot the bus scene in a real bus stop. And... But the interiors were all at Warner Brothers. And I went to the set one day just to see it. And at that point, you could just go on the set, you know, hi, I'm in Pee Wee's Big Adventure. And <laughs> they let you in. Th these days are over. But anyway, when when we shot this in, I guess, 84 or end of 84, beginning of 85, um, since it came out in 85, I went to the set and they were, uh, Tim Burton was shooting the scene with Paul and Judd Oman, who played brilliantly the convict. Great movie, and Pee Wee, action packed. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. And um, anyway, uh, Paul and the convict were up in the, the convertible and they had fallen off the cliff. And it was a scene of their falling and screaming. And then Paul hugs him. And then, the, the you know, the convict hugs him. And then he pushes him away. And then they're, they're screaming because they're falling. And then all of a sudden, the, the uh, rooftop of the convertible opens up. And it acts like a 
parachute and they come gently down to the ground. And I watched the scene, you guys, being shot. And I saw them do it a couple of times. And I, I'm very intuitive. Some people think I'm psychic. And, and I just, I got such a hit. And I went up to Paul and Tim Burton when they finished shooting the scene. And I said, listen, you don't know me that well, but I have to tell you, I'm really intuitive and psychic. And I, I just want to tell you, this movie is going to be huger than anyone has any idea about. You were right. Yeah. Yeah. Are you, when, when you, I mean, you, and they didn't know you then. Have they stayed in, in I mean, obviously, you know, Paul is, is gone, but were you able to stay in contact with him and Tim Burton and, and anyone else? Yes, movie that I you mean, were in? Paul, Paul called me, I don't even think it was a year ago, and said, you know, I'm going to, hi, Diane, it's Paul. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm, I'm going to be on TV tonight. Can you watch it? You know, it was something, you know, some kind of, some kind of game show. And I said, Paul, I I would love to watch it, but I live on the top of a mountain and I don't have television. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he never mentioned that he was sick or anything. And and uh, uh, Tim, Tim, he cast both of us in Batman Returns. We didn't. Right. Neither one of us auditioned for it. He just put us in as the Penguins' mom and dad. And it happened right after the scandal okay. and with Paul. And I think Tim did this as a way of helping, you know, Paul get back on the horse. And um, it was really, really sweet, you know. And we loved Tim. Uh, Paul and I really loved doing it. And Paul was very nervous because of what had happened with the scandal. And he, he called me and said, will you come up and rehearse with me? And I said, of course. And he lived in this house in the Hollywood Hills. And when I got to the door, he answered it and he had this baseball cap on and he had kind of scraggly hair. And, and he said, Oh, they're taking pictures of me across the Canyon. And we couldn't oh. go out for lunch. We had to order in. And we worked on the scenes together and, and, uh, uh, anyway, so, you know, I felt like that was such an, it was such an unjustified thing. If, if that would have happened in, in today's age, even whatever happened, hmm. it would have been such a non-event and it was because of the time that it happened and everybody was still so prudish about everything. I feel like oh. it just got blown out of proportion. So, so blown out of proportion. And, you know, and, and I had these neighbors who had young children and they took away all the peewee toys because of the scandal. I mean, it was ridiculous. And Paul told me that in that lunch we had when we rehearsed in his house, Paul told me, you know, that, that when he was on MTV awards and said, how many good jokes lately? And everyone get, stood up and gave him a standing ovation. He said he has no memory of that. Oh. He was so traumatized by it. And, um, you know, I'm sure that this, I've been thinking a lot about Paul. I miss him terribly. And I think that the way he was treated and continued to be treated, um, like it was kind of like a pariah that, yeah. that um, 
I think this absolutely contributed, if if it didn't exactly cause, I think it probably caused his illness that led to his death, is all of this, from the stress, from the stress of it all. It sucks. It yeah. sucks when people bring that, bring, bring shit out at you that, that is unnecessary to even... I, like, because I look back on it and I'm like, it's such an like if you look if you were to look at it now, like there's so much worse stuff. Oh. Nowadays, somebody would spin it into something just to get yeah. publicity for themselves. Yeah, it, it would. Yeah. It would probably be honestly, it would probably be a positive impact. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's just it's just so sad because he was such a brilliant comedian to do, and the, and everything closed, was innovative. They closed that theater where they caught Paul in Florida. They closed it, and somebody wrote in huge letters, Pee-wee's Playhouse. (laughs) That's kind of funny. (laughs) Yeah, I I love that story. I love the story. But I've been, um, you know, it's been really wonderful to, to, uh, I went to his memorial, and there's E.G. who played Dottie right in front of me. and, And then, you know, I see Lynn Stewart who played the nun, but she also is Miss Yvonne. And then I met Cassandra. She's now she's in. Always Sunny, right? Isn't she one of the one of yes. the moms in Always Sunny? Yeah, yeah. yeah she's Charlie's mom. Yeah, that's fun. That's hilarious. So, and and then she, Lynn Stewart, Miss Yvonne, called me up and said, "Listen, Phil Rosenthal, who produced uh, Everybody Loves Raymond, and now has his own Netflix show. Somebody feed Phil, and he goes around the world eating." Did I hear about? I think I might have, I might have watched an episode of this. Yes, you probably did. Because it's, I watched, I watch another show. It's a, uh, it's called Hamburger America. It's a guy that goes around, and his name is, I think his name is, uh, I want to say it's Cats, something Cats. Uh-huh. I have the book. Oh no, George Motts. That's his name. I have the book. But he goes to different mom and pop burger shops across the country, and he and he eats burgers and, and tells you how they're made and where they come from and stuff. And I've tried to go when I travel. I try to go to the places in the book or that he talks about and. Um, in the show, I don't know if it's if it's Netflix or YouTube. It might it's one of them, but he actually gets celebrities from the towns and, and from the states where these places are, and then they they go to the place with him. And it's like it's really cool to see who he recruits to get on to like eat the burgers and try and make the burgers on their own. And it's like it was great. It was it's a great show. But yeah, I, I think I that it's not only a book; it's a show. Oh yeah, mm. it's fantastic. But um, it that. That's that's interesting too that you would that you would bump into Dottie again because you guys have both done voiceover work, yes? Yes. You were Shira Absolutely. in Shira. Banshira, Queen Banshira commands you. That's from Power Rangers, yes. Yeah, that's Power Rangers, yes. Yeah. Yes. Did you know that? No, I did not. <laughs> know. See? So it's funny <laughs> to, to go back to Batman for a second. Um when Jimmy first said that he had read into you and talked to you about possibly coming on the show, yeah. obviously, you know, Pee Wee is the first thing that popped into my head. And then I was like, Penguin's mom was the <laughs> next thing. That was the very next thing that popped into my head. So I was oh, glad I you have, brought that up. I have a story about coming to the set for the first day of um, Pee Wee of uh, Batman Returns. And um, I, 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 as soon as I get to the set, Tim Burton comes up to me and says, do you want to see my storyboards? I said, yes. Awesome. So he takes me into his trailer. He does not show me his etchings. He takes me into his trailer. And his storyboards are literally these paintings that are about like th- three feet tall, two and a half, three feet tall. 
And they're in pastels. Some are oils, I think, but some are pastels. And he draws like one picture per scene. And the, 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 the picture that stuck out that I remember the most was it was of Catwoman, Michelle Pfeiffer, had fallen to her death on the street and the cats were licking her back to life. And that's all he had for the scene, as far oh, as I God. know, is just these cats, lick, you know, on the ground, on the street, licking Catwoman back to life. And he had this, like, for every scene, he had a picture. And he came from, um, I think he came from animation initially, uh, if Tim did. Mm-hmm. I, if he if he didn't, it uh, it comes out as that he was an animator. I mean, even in Beetlejuice, yeah. there's a lot of, like, animation-type things that he did with live action. It's one of the things about his movies that I love the most is that it looks like you're watching a live-action cartoon. Yes. Yes, yes. Like when he did Wonka, when he did the when he did Charlie and Chocolate Factory, there's scenes in there that I'm just like, this is just a cartoon. This is just me watching like the Smurfs. And it's like this is what happens in the Smurfs as a live action. And and yeah. you you remember that scene in Pee-Wee's Big Adventure where it goes black after yep. the comic Right after Large Marge, Marge, right? Or right before Large Marge? Yes, but he's he's in the dark and he's hearing this wildcat. And and you see his eyes, and it's animated. You know, it's cartoon eyes. And he says, where am I? And he says, maybe I should put on those glasses, the light glasses. And he puts them on, and then he can see it all. And, and you know, it's the stuffed animals behind. <laughs> and they're all making all this noise. I think a raccoon was alive, but everything else was stuffed. <laughs> yeah. yeah He's he's he seems like a, he seems like a really like eclectic but a really cool guy. Really incredibly incredibly humble. He knew exactly what he wanted, you know. And and when uh, F- uh, Phil Rosenthal had a screening at his house of um, Pee Wee's Big Adventure, he had asked me and Lynn Stewart and E.G. couldn't make it, but Lynn Stewart and I. Um, went to the house and saw the movie in his private screening room. And there were about maybe 10, 15 of us. And then we stood up and talked. And one big producer, um, I'm not going to say who it is. I can't remember his name anyway, but he's a huge huge movie producer. And he said, well, was Tim, did Tim really have this kind of self-assurance or was he kind of not wishy-washy, didn't really know what he wanted? I said, no, no, no. He knew exactly what he wanted. And he came to my little cottage because I said to him before we started shooting, I said, Tim, I have five different Southern accents. And he said, well, I'll come over and listen to them. And he picked the one that was the most, you know, the, 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 the most sort of generic that everybody in America would understand, you know? Yeah. And um, oh, I just, you know, he's, he he really knew. And he and Paul would go off to the sides, you know, when the camera was setting up for another shot and just laugh and laugh and, you know, crack each other up. They were really like teammates. It was really sweet. Yeah, it's, it's it comes through in the in the in the movie itself. You can see that everybody kind of like you, even the even the villains, you can see they all they all kind of got along. Like you could see, yeah, there was like a there was like a love for the for the movie and for each other that comes yeah, out of the movie because that's it's one of like you said it makes it it makes that it brings that innocence out. Yes, yes, and um, 
I mean, I just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking very seriously and I, and, oh, I would love everyone to follow me on Instagram and Facebook. <laughs> it's at Diane Louise Salinger. And I'm only for my Facebook and Instagram followers. I'm going to be doing fireside chats. Oh, and cool. one is going to be about following your dreams because that's what Pee Wee Herman teaches Simone and she completely changes her life. <laughs> and I have to say this about Phil Rosenthal, who, who produced Everybody Loves Raymond and now somebody feed Phil. He's, he's the actor in it. He is doing exactly what he loves. And when you do that, you are so successful. It's, it's, it's from, I said, you're an inspiration to me. This guy loves somebody feeds Phil and he loves going to all these countries all over the world and cracking people up and eating and meeting new people. And it, he's very sort of innocent with it. And it's, the man is, the man is just so prosperous because he's just doing what he loves. So I'm going to have these fireside chats. And starting with Simone about following your dream. So everybody tune in and please, yes, follow me. I'm just starting out on social media. And I have to say, I'm so excited about it. And I have like, I have several thousand followers and I just can't wait to have more and have these fireside chats and inspire people to be especially doing what they love. So yeah. everyone follow me at Diane Louise Salinger. Yes, that's, that's that's what I mean. That's what we're about here too. Like when we when we first started doing this, I was like, I'll never be able to talk to celebrities. I'll never be able to get anybody on the show. We'll never be able Aww. to do this. And Mike, Mike literally was like, "You can do this. Let's just do it." <laughs> I was like, he's like, I'm "I've been so doing this for a while. You'd be great. Let's do it." And I'm like, "All right, cool." I'm so and happy to be doing this with you guys. Yeah, guys no, we're happy to have you. This is this is so cool. Like it's 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 so cool to to talk about. The stuff that that we love. Also, I didn't get to see it yet, but I'm going to watch it because I have so many shows on my docket. But Carnival. Oh, oh. What was that like being in that? That's a totally different. That's a whole other animal. Yes, um, I'm very, very close friends to the creator of it, Dan Knopf. Uh, he's a genius. Um. Uh, they started out having my character because they were trying to save money. They started out having my character as an extra and Dan fought to get a real actress. And I don't have, I have like, I think I have two lines for this, for the full two seasons. And that's not many lines. And, uh, and I never wanted to do, uh, be a series regular on a show because I didn't want to be stuck having to do the same character for seven years. And that's what you give up. It's at least from five to seven years, you are committed to doing this. Yeah. And I thought, you know, I'm an, I come from theater. I love doing all kinds of parts. I started out as a leading lady in theater. I always had the lead. And then when I came to LA, I immediately became a character actor. And, you know, Simone was one of my early parts and some of the others I don't even like to mention. <laughs> <laughs> A, a horrific horror, well, a horror movie. It's not horrific, but a horror movie with Klaus Kinski, and that's another story. And um, I, I, uh, I never wanted to do a series, 
and I would get really close to getting them. And then I purposely sort of didn't get them because I, I just didn't want to play the same part for seven years. I thought this is death. And, um, but for this one, um, I, I was fascinated. I play a catatonic fortune teller in it, Apollonia. And, um, I had, I, I, I was, I, I teach acting as well. And, uh, you know, and if, so if anyone wants to study with me, we can even do it on zoom. And I had, um, uh, I had an incredible student who was Korean, who was a director, actually, and she had just graduated from USC in the directing program. She was there to learn to, you know, to talk to actors. And um, her brother is a psychiatrist. And I said to her, you know, Hyun Mi, do you think your brother could t take get me into a, um, a psych psychiatric ward? And because I really want to, I don't really know that much about catatonics, but I really want to, I love research. I love doing research as an actor. And um, I wanted to really study people who had this condition. And um, she introduced me to her brother and he got me into one, but he wasn't with me. And he said that I was a visiting psychiatrist. <laughs> <laughs> and we uh, they let me out uh with all of these patients that were in this very large yard and some were talking to the trees and some were talking to brick walls and and I, I thought this is fascinating but this isn't what I want and then when I came back in when they called all the patients in they thought I was one of the patients <laughs> So it was like Ace Ventura. I guess, I guess. And 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 they said, What building do you belong in? <laughs> and, I, and I said, Well, you know, I'm actually here. I'm a visiting psychiatrist. <laughs> so they're like, sure you are. <laughs> yeah, right, right, lady. And so I, I called up uh Hyunmi's uh brother James and said you know, it's not, that wasn't the right place, but I, lo I loved being around the patients. But um, can you get me into a place where it's much more catatonic, where they're like in another dimension? So he takes me into a hospital where he's actually working. It wasn't a hospital. It was a, a, a home for uh, uh, dementia and Alzheimer's, old people and right. different, you know, like this. And we walked into the cafeteria and there was one woman who had her, I wish we could be on camera for this, but who had her hands like this on her lap and her, you know, and her face was like, yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, on, you know, she was her, her whole like head face paralysis. Side. And her, you know, her tongue wasn't hanging out of her mouth, but it was, you know, like, you know, the jaw was open. And she wasn't blinking. And I, at one point, I, I, I kneeled down so I would be lower than she. She was in a wheelchair. And, you know, there was a television on and nobody was watching it. And uh, I touched her leg and she started getting very agitated because she was in totally another realm, another dimension. And she did not want to come back here. So I said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I, 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 didn't, I didn't touch her after that. And I thought, my God, I found the part. So yeah. I, I, I based it on her and to give back to this center, I had all of my acting students. We prepared um, 
we were preparing this anyway for for industry people. We prepared a showcase and we we had like a trial run at that that cafeteria and we performed for everybody. Oh, that's great. And she she by then was in her bed and I came to visit her and I was so grateful to her and I feel like you know she's probably passed on now but that she lives through Apollonia when she gave me just phenomenal I never would have made those choices had I not seen her she was amazing and I love being in in that show and Damnoff and I are still very very close and um you know, there were some personality conflicts, and it was ridiculous that they took it off the air. It was it was remarkable, and still people come up to me at conventions, autograph conventions, and say that's one of the best things ever on TV. <laughs> and they they also say things like, "This led paved the way for Game of Thrones, which was yeah. an HBO show as well." That's that's um that that comes to in the in the from what I was reading that's a lot of what they say is they say if you like Game of Thrones you'll like the show a lot. Oh really? Yeah, because because I was like, oh, I should check this out. Oh, I'm so glad. Well, I I love I love being in it. I really loved it. It looks really interesting. I w I wish I had had time to to watch the whole thing before I went on, but I wanted to make sure I watched Pee Wee once before, and we were just at Rhode Island Comic Con, me and my me and my family, because we go and we oh, hang out. So we nice. hang out there for the year. Yeah, it was nice. Ah, um, um, yeah. No, go ahead. You first. <laughs> I mean, there's so much to tell you, but but I love when you prompt me. You guys are asking great questions. So is there is there a huge difference? Because like you like I like we were talking about you. Uh, you well, were I do, I, excuse me. I do want to say one thing. Okay. I had made it my up my mind, and when you see Carnival, you'll see this character Apollonia, and she she only says one line in the very first scene she's in, and then one line at, at the very end of the second season, and. I, I wanted to be different in every single scene, even though I could not blink. I could not change my facial expression. I could not move my body. And I wanted to be different in every single scene. And that's the, the challenge I gave myself. And I think I really did that. And it was all completely internal, but I could not even blink. And it was sometimes really hard because you know, this takes place in the Dust Bowl in the 30s. And right. sometimes the set would be so dusty, you know, or they had just done a scene where there was dust blowing. And then I, I couldn't I couldn't blink. You know? and oh, then, yeah. Jesus. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. It was it was a wonderful experience. I love being on that show. Definitely going to check it out. I, I, it's on my list. The, uh, the, it's one so of the, the best things you'll ever see on television. I hope so. <laughs> There's not much good anymore. So <laughs> no, especially the first, the first uh, season. The first season is unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, we need to check it out. I um, but so my my other my next question was going to be uh, so you did the voice for Banshira. Mm -hmm. Is there a huge difference between doing a voice for something like Power Rangers and something like Skyrim? Because you did a bunch of voices for Skyrim too, right? Yes, I did all the female monsters. Oh, wow. I can really get my voice down here like that. 
Well, That's Queen Banshira is much more elegant, you know. It's, it's like Queen Banshira commands you, almost British, you know. So it, it was it was a very different. But what I love about doing these um, characters is that you get all your hostilities out. That's what I love. I actually <laughs> love doing horror movies. I don't go to see them very often, but I love playing in them because you get you get to just release all your hostilities. It's fabulous. You feel so cathartic. You feel so clean when you do it. <laughs> cleansed. <laughs> Completely cleansed. It's wonderful. So you and you now you have you have something coming up, correct? Yes. Uh, well, Paul and I. I mean, this is five years ago. The last movie I did with Paul is Pee Wee's Big Holiday, and you can right. see it on Netflix. Yes, I think and, it's. I, um, I think it's still on Netflix. Yeah, and that's that. It's a totally different character, you know. And and uh, I play Catherine Hepburn, although they call me Penny King. They, it's really Kath. They said in the script it was Catherine Hepburn. So it's very, very different. It's like this. Oh, Pee-wee. <laughs> yeah, I loved it. So th that's a great movie to see if you're if you're on a binge watching Paul Rubens, uh, Pee-wee's Big Holiday. And it's directed by uh, not Tim Burton, but uh, John Lee, who was wonderful. Really sweet, wonderful man. What else has he done? I don't know. I know. Yeah, I don't really. I never, I've never heard. And he said that he had been just directing, but I don't know what it is. But he's really, he's very magical. I heard it's good. It came. I remember that came out right around the time when they did a lot. They did a lot of legacy movies that I wanted to see. There was the Coming America, Coming to America three. I think mm -hmm. is two or three. Two. 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 And then they did um, Bill and Ted three, which I love. Bill and Ted. Ah, uh, yeah. And then, uh, and then that that came out too. I still have to. I still haven't watched. It. I want to watch it, but I, it's I get really, it's it's very very funny, and and it's different. It's a Tim. It's not Tim Burton. It's a different movie, but it's very very sweet and funny. And um, um, and it's just, you know, it's it's wonderful. It's. Mm. So do you think? Do you think you're going to do more more voiceover work when when you get the opportunity? Um, I, I would love to, I, I really love doing it. You don't have to put on makeup. You can just go and sweat, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I'm all into that. I, I live, uh, I kind of live in the countryside in its own way. And, and, uh, you know, I don't put makeup on usually. I re very rarely wear it except like red carpet things. And, and, um, I, I, I really love doing them. I'd love to do like, a, you know, Roy Dutrice, whom I acted with in The Scarlet Letter in Nova Scotia, and he became, he and I became friends. He um, did all the voices for Game of Thrones. Oh, wow. Five novels. He played a little girl. He played an old man. He played a sexy woman. Every part he played. He's incredible in it. And he is, I think he's got the uh, book of records for doing more voiceover in one project than anyone. That's ever. amazing. Yeah. Five novels, five novels. And I listened, after I saw all of Game of Thrones, I went and got the books on tape because I live far and out and, you know, I drive a lot and I would listen to this. And each one of those novels, guys, was 
like 35 CDs. Yeah. They're big books. So, so 35 times five, and that's how many CDs he did the voices for. Jeez. All of them. That's a lot. What is 35 times five? I, I have a, my phone here. What is that? Uh, hold on a second. This is okay. Hey, Siri, what's 35 times five? That would be yeah. 175. 175 CDs worth of Game of Thrones he did. Every single character. Would you want to commit to a, a project that large? Probably not. I'm right. <laughs> I'm writing a book about Joan of Arc, and that's where my real passion is. Oh, I'm writing a book, too. You are? Yes. On what? So I had a friend when I was in college who uh, was a great person, but he died of epilepsy before we graduated. And oh. our plan was when we both graduated, because we faced a, a decent amount of adversity just to get into college where we were, um, we were frat brothers, and we were going to travel the country and go see a baseball game in every um, stadium. And he died before that happened. Oh. So then fast forward, I got my master's. And when you get a master's in English, you either become a writer or a teacher, pretty much. Those are your options. And I was like, I don't, I, I don't have anything against teaching, but I'm not ready to teach. I wanted to be a writer to experience things that Good I could teach people. Good for you, Jimmy. So now we go, I go to um, away Phillies games with a person representing him at every trip. And then I write about the experience because I've done, I've never really done a lot of traveling and this got me to go out and start traveling. And when we go to the different stadiums, I interact with fans. I talk to the people that, that work at the stadiums that like the ushers and I, you know, I meet people and, and I just, it's just fascinating how many people that sport alone and Philly's fandom ties together across the country. And, and in memory of my dead friend, I try and, you know, I try and keep his memory alive and it's, and it's, it's great, but it's, but writing is, is, you know, I, I, I love, I've always loved writing and that's, and that, that's, that's, so doing books and stuff is, is great. It's incredible. <laughs> what I love about writing so much is that you get to be, as an actress, you get to be every single part. You get to be every single place. You get to be the entire book. And you don't have to audition. You just do it. I just think it is, it's the best profession on the earth. And I, there is a very famous writer I listened to. She, she did the vampire diaries, I think. Oh, uh, yeah. And she said, this is the best profession anyone could ever ask for is writing. And I have to agree. And I get into a, do you get into this zone, Jimmy, where you, you're writing and you're in your, in your room or your cat, you know, whatever house you're in. And, and like time just stops. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. And it becomes this very spiritual, uh, sacred experience. You know what I'm talking oh, about? Oh, totally. Uh, when I was, especially when I was in college, I was doing creative writing and I would have to write stories. And my friends, my, my roommates and friends used to crack up because I couldn't, I can't, I have this thing where I, I have a very hard time stopping in the middle of writing. Yeah. So I would write my stories. I would sit down. I would come up with the idea. I would set everything up and I would write my stories and I would write them in one shot, just get through the whole story. And then you go back and you edit. But it was it would be like five hours I'd be writing. 
and I would like not eat anything and not drink anything, yes, but yes. I wouldn't realize it was be, like you said, it was spiritual. So it's like, I wouldn't realize I hadn't eaten anything. And then I would stop and I'd be like, damn, I'm starving. <laughs> I need pizza. I need to go get some pizza. Cause I would be so hungry. I'm like, I'm so <laughs> like, I'd be biting my lip and I'd be like, I'm so thirsty right now. All I need to do is get a glass of water, but I just couldn't stop. And I would just oh, go no. right through the whole story. You're a real writer, darling. That's, that's <laughs> Thank you. I, I have to tell you, and I'm not I, I'm not connected to um, Stephen King in any way, but I read his book on writing. Yes. And it's the best book I've ever read on writing. And, you know, some of these people are very technical. And uh, but if you're an intuitive and you sound like you're an intuitive and I'm an intuitive, this and Stephen King is an intuitive. He just says, write as fast as you can so the inner critic doesn't, you know, catch up to you. And he and he also says, and I'm finding this true, is that your first take on the words you're using, the first take on the story is the right one. And rarely, maybe you'll you'll change a word here, a word there, but Go with your gut instinct. And I thought, oh man, this is great to hear. Yeah, it's, 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 that's one of the most satisfying. That's one of my, one of my teachers told me. She's like, there's always time to edit, get the story out first. Because yeah, when exactly. it's in your head, you're going to keep, it's going to keep swirling around. If you can get it laid out on paper, and it, it, then it, then there's a sense of organization. And then you can, you can switch the pieces around. Exactly. But once exactly. you have the pieces, you can finish the puzzle. Yeah, and I always like that. I also like a lot of the essays that Vonnegut wrote about writing. Ah, oh, I, I, I absolutely love Vonnegut. He's my he's my favorite writer of all time. But his but just how he talks about writing and just creative creative things in general is just it's just so fascinating that he's such a smart, talented person, and he's like do things bad. He's like do be bad at whatever art you want to oh, do. I love just do that. art. He's like just do art. It, it doesn't matter if you're good at music. There's no rule that says you can't make it if you suck at it. So just continue to do it just until you're good. It. Just do it. And yeah. and also Stephen King says, you know, don't bother doing research in the beginning. Just write it. Yep. And then you can fill in with research. But, you know, don't let that clog you and make you kind of, you know, this isn't what I've learned from my research. Just write the damn thing and then go back and fill in with if you need research. I love that. I, I'm going to have to read Kurt Vonnegut on writing. That sounds oh, brilliant. Yeah, I, I don't. I, there, if you if you get his collected essays, it's prob they're probably in there because mm -hmm. it's it's scattered different essays because when he was a teacher, too. So he also he has like. He, he did a bunch of different like like stuff like that and speeches and stuff about what it is to write and be a writer. And it's just I just love that he he's like, you, you don't have to be you don't have to have a degree to write. Yeah. You can just write. And if you're and, you know, it, you can hone your skills. There's nothing wrong with he's like anybody can do anything if you want to be the greatest then you have to hone your skills. But like, mm -hmm. if you just want to write, just write to write, just create. It's yeah. it's satisfying for the soul. And it's like not enough people just enjoy themselves with what they're doing. Just do what you enjoy. And if, yeah. you know, if it's successful, cool. If it's not, at least you have some satisfying part of your life that can make you happy. Absolutely. And yes. And just, uh, and, and all these incredible writers say, you've got to be reading as well. You oh, yeah. got to read, 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 read. And I hadn't been doing that. And uh, I used to read Jungian shrink books, you know, all the time, but not fiction. And now I'm reading and it's so, oh my gosh, I'm reading this great book called uh, Cutting for Stone by Verghese. 
and it's it's unbelievable. It's written by a doctor who is a teacher and um, practicing physician at Stanford now. Oh wow! And this book is amazing. Mike, have you got any questions? <laughs> no, I'm just enjoying this. <laughs> uh, I'm reading right now. I'm reading uh, Christopher Moore. Have you ever read him? No. Oh, you're, oh, he's fit. You, I, I feel like. I feel like you would absolutely appreciate and love him. He's a, he's a humorist. And what he does is he takes these crazy scenarios and he makes these uh, wonderful books, stories about him. Uh, one of them he does, I think it's called fool uh, because I read so many of them. They're, they're all like, they get jumbled in my head, but it's, it's about the fool in Shakespeare. But um, what it is, is because there's numerous fools, it's the fool has one character in all of Shakespeare. So he interacts with different characters from different Shakespearean plays. So like he he meets Othello, he's friends with the daughter, one of the daughters of King Lear, and he interacts with them all in the same story. So it's very informed, like, like historically with 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 a lot of research done in the actual story. But he tells such a funny, hilarious story with the fool, which is one of Shakespeare's tools in, in his, in his plays to, to get the audience to understand. And it's just to take that character and make it the centerpiece of a, of a, of a humor, of a humor story is just, it was just so incredible. And I'm like, Oh my God, this guy's a genius. You know, the fools I'm because I'm doing, I, I do do research on uh, the medieval times because of my Joan of Arc story. The fool was, extraordinary because you you know anyone else in the court would be beheaded for what the fool says to the king <laughs> just you know off of his head like that <laughs> and i love that these kings would keep a fool around and it would be like their shadow you know the part that they wouldn't want to show anybody and the fool would just say it yeah, and it's uh, you know, and there's no psychology at that point, but you know, Jung's shadow, which is amazing, which is you know about the part of you that you do do not accept, and you certainly don't want the rest of the world to see. And and just thinking about this now, thinking God, you know, the fool is is the shadow. Yeah, and it's out there, and it's pointing the shadow at the king, and and the fact that these guys could exist and not be killed is just amazing and i think that this was very wise rulership to have a fool there because it would show the weak side of the king to the king that and you know someone like well, maybe i shouldn't say this some some politicians today you know <laughs> they could use i mean they're they already close the they fool. could probably use a, a king to be the fool for <laughs> <laughs> Yes, well put. Well put. <laughs> I mean, God. Oh goodness. So let's let's continue talking um, about uh, Mike. Have you got any questions at all? Or <laughs> so uh, I mean, in addition to the writing, do you have any other film projects that are in the works currently? No, and I'm really relieved. I was very grateful this strike happened. <laughs> <laughs> Because I haven't been auditioning very much and I've turned down two out of three since I came back from France. I go to France for like three months at a time, which is lo as long as the French will allow an American to go because we're not Schengen. So I go for three months. Even Simone? They won't let Simone be in France no, for a long period of time? No. That's a travesty. 
And one time Paul called me and he said, Diane, where are you? And I said, Paul, I'm in Paris. <laughs> Paris, France. And we both cracked up. I go there, I, you know, with COVID, I didn't go. But last year I went and this year I went and I've gone five times to do research. And I go to these little tiny villages where no one speaks a word of English. So my French has gotten a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> bonjour, bonjour, au revoir, au revoir. It, 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 so I, I, I have, I, I'm, when I come back and I'm talking about it, France now, I get homesick for France. And um, it's almost like art imitating life. Yes, exactly. Very well put. <laughs> yeah. um, when, so when do you have, are you, are you just in the, like the, the beginning stages of the book? Or are you, are you? Well, I've written, um, I've written quite a bit, <clears throat> but I didn't. I couldn't figure out how to begin this book, and um, it's just occurred to me recently. And I, I've written the first chapter, and uh, it's it's like an epilogue. It's only like a page and a half long, two pages long, and um, I'm really pleased with it. I just hope that the rest of the book can live up to this because um, I, I, the 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 more I work on this, the more I see that it's. Um, that it's that it's it's a lot of me in it, you know. And I, I think I, it, I, I think it has to be anything you write. I think has to have absolutely part absolutely. of you in it. Absolutely, and I wish I could tell more about it, but I I'm really tight lipped from having some bad experience. No, that's fine. Whenever whenever it's ready, you're more than welcome to come on and promote it again. We'd oh, love to have I you back. I would. Oh God, Jimmy, I'd love that. Yeah, I'd we, say probably going to be another two years till it comes out and it's going to be it's pretty shocking because it's never this this part of the Joan of Arc story has never been told before awesome I love stuff like that and um it I think it will be a little shocking to people which I hope I'm hoping yeah. it's shocking um it's not uh it's not this romanticized version of Joan of Arc at all. And I had a friend who was um, the second major historian of Joan of Arc in all of France. And we became friends. And every time I've gone to France, he was retired when I got here this time. But last time I was there two years ago, um, he told me some unbelievable things that there is not in any books. Oh, that's awesome. At this time, and they're going in my book, and it's it's. Uh, I I think people are going to be really shocked. Now, is, are you working with a publisher? Or are you intending to self-publish? I'm, oh, I don't. I don't want to self-publish. I I don't want to go that route. Um, I, I'm. I haven't even gone that far. I just. I don't want any pressure of someone pushing me when to finish it. I'm writing from my love. You know, this is the passion of my life. Is this is following my dreams? <laughs> nice, nice tie-in. <laughs> and, and, uh, and I don't, I, I don't want to put that kind of pressure on myself at this point. Sometimes, um, uh, Dan Knopf, the creator of Carnival, and I talk a little, and he wants to show me things that he's working on, and some of them are kind of overlapping what I'm doing, and I say, no, no, no. Mm -mm. <laughs> 
I don't want to be, I don't want to even unconsciously get um, ideas from someone else. So I, I just, I'm, I'm keeping it very close, um, but it's, um, it's, uh, it, it's, I'm hoping that something that no, that something of the likes of which has never been written or read before. And maybe that's just my naivete as a first time writer, but I, um, I, I just, I love Joan of Arc so much. Yeah, I get it. It's, it's, I, I feel the same way about baseball. I do that I, when I go, when I go and I, and I, I know it's, I know it's not like the same thing, but it's like when I go and, you know, hearing stories, like if you talk to somebody from Brooklyn about what it was like to have a baseball team in Brooklyn, it's just such a fascinating experience, even though like I hate New York. It's like, it's like, there's, there's just like, just to hear that history. It's like, you know, these guys got to watch Jackie Robinson and not, Got My to watch God. Jackie Robinson, like, like, not not got to watch him on TV, like we see Derek Jeter. They got to be in the neighborhood with Jackie Robinson because he lived with them, and it's like that's just such a fascinating thing. Is like the baseball players lived with the people of yeah. Brooklyn. They lived yeah. in Brooklyn. It's like yeah. they used to walk to the ballpark how with the neighborhood are, kids. And how it's like, old, how old are the people that remember Jackie Robinson? How old? Oh are God, they're, they're they're yeah. They're, I've I haven't I haven't actually like. I haven't gotten to interact like personally, but like just to hear this, like reading the stories and hearing from people who are, who are connected to the, like who interviewed those people mm -hmm. just to hear those, especially like, I love the Negro league stories. Like, like just to hear about, about all of that stuff is just fascinating because it's like, they have, they had just as many, there was just as many talented players that just never got any recognition. And it's like, they played against, like Babe Ruth used to go against the Negro League teams all the time because he knew that it was a money draw in in those areas. So there's like mythical stories about Babe Ruth and Josh Bell, who are two of the best home run hitters in the history of baseball, going at it in in, in exhibition games that never got really covered because at the time the the racial injustice was was ridiculous. But it's like the, the, these guys interacted with each other. It was like Satchel Paige is another one. Like he would, I mean, he would no, probably out. Jackie Rob. I mean, um, Babe Ruth did this purposely because he knew that that these guys were better than most people on his team. He and always, he wanted, well, there's that too, and the best workout as possible. Well, that and that too, and and a lot of <laughs> a lot of what I read and what I've heard is that Babe Ruth, when he was around, there was a lot of accusations that he might have been uh, half black because of oh. just the, the way his facial structure was. So he was so a lot of um, ethnic people clung to him because of his his actual ethnicity and the fact that he was sort of tied to them. So he was able to like he was able to skirt all of those all of those, all of that place. And he never, despite all his, his shortcomings, he was never like, and he never outwardly, nothing I've heard or read from anyone shows him as being outwardly racist. He was like, everybody isn't equal on the baseball field. Uh, we, we're, we're all the same. Like we should all be, but you know, at and the time. And the musicians, no matter what era, didn't have these prejudices because, right. you know, they were the masters often. Yeah, that's that. That was when I was when I was researching when I was doing. I was reading a lot about Louis Armstrong because I love Louis Armstrong. Okay, I have a Louis Armstrong story. Oh, please tell. <laughs> okay, my father loved jazz, and we were young. I'm the oldest of three sisters, 
And uh, Louis Armstrong was coming to this dinner club. Can you imagine? And so we were having dinner while Louis was playing on the stage. But before he came out, I wrote on a napkin, and I was like 12 years old. I wrote on a napkin, dear Mr. Armstrong, please don't be nervous just because I'm in the front row. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Love, Diane. And I gave it to the waiter and I said, please give this to Mr. Armstrong. And so he came out and played incredibly, you know, and he was, the stage was like up, like a little above our heads while we were eating, sitting down. And, but we were front row at this table and he, he went through this incredible set doing Hello Dolly and When the Saints Come Marching Home and incredible, incredible music. He's such a musician. And then, and I thought, oh, and he didn't look once at me. And I thought, oh no, he didn't get the message. And then he took his bow and he was bowing right in front of me, right above me, in front of me. And he, when he bowed really low and his head came down just a little bit above mine. And he said, God bless you, child. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. And I just, you know, this is one of the highlights of my life (laughs) was to be blessed by Louis Armstrong. And then uh, our father would take us to Atlantic City to see Duke Ellington and Count Basie and especially Duke Ellington. And I got to be friends with some of the guys in the band, you know, because it was it was the era of rock and roll and they were no longer important, the big bands anymore. And so there'd be maybe like, six of us at Steel Pier watching Count Basie and, and Duke Ellington, like six of us. And there were five, there were five of us in my family. And maybe there were maybe, you know, three or four more, maybe 10 maximum. And we'd be standing right by the stage. And I got to know, you know, Harry Carney, and Cootie Williams and, you know, all these, there was no one there. And we would clap just like our hands were falling off our bodies. We just were clapping so much for them. And you were, and, and you're originally from Delaware. Yes. I was born in Delaware, but I was mainly raised in Philadelphia in Panama for uh when I was six and seven and for nine months in Panama, because my father started the first steel mill in Panama for the Panamanian government. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. But, but you grew I grew up in Philly. I grew up in Philly, yeah. We're in Philly. A very snobby area. Chestnut oh. <laughs> <laughs> Hill. Really? Much, much snobbier at that point than the main line was. I went to the last two years of school on the main line and called Baldwin School for Girls. <laughs> and uh, but but Chestnut Hill was much snobbier than the main line. And there were actually I knew one of my friends in school. Her grandfather was called Binky, and every all oh, the <laughs> girls wore pink and green papagallos. You know, it was it was really really strange, and we didn't fit in because you know our great 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 grandparents hadn't come on the Mayflower. And I refused to have a coming out party, although my my father's mother and my mother pressured me. My grandmother even had the balls to say, this is going to help your acting career. (laughs) (laughs) 
And I totally refused. I said, I will not do this. I will not have a debutante ball. But my best friend did in New York and we all went to New York and we, and the, the men, the fathers would twirl their napkins like this. And then each girl came down the long stairs and the gowns, you know, it was, it was huge, but I had, I had absolutely no interest in doing this. That's funny. Do you, do you retain anything from living in Philly that, that you, you still to this day? Oh God. Yes. <laughs> like, like, you like food stuff. Cause I know for a fact, like when I go to other places, you just can't get it. You can't get the same type of food. People say it's cheesesteaks and it's just not, it's just not the same. <laughs> Any city you go to, they're like, Oh, it's a Philly cheesesteak. You're like, no, it's not. <laughs> just not. You know, I've never had a Philly cheesesteak ever. I've never oh. had I mean, I think next time I go, I will have to have a Philly cheesesteak. You need to call us up and we'll all go together. Uh, it's a deal. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, um, I have a funny story. Uh, on each one of our birthdays, the kids' birthdays, you got to eat. You had to plan the menu yourself and do anything you wanted, which is amazing. And apparently Meryl Streep's family was like that, too. And so I my favorite was lobster tail and artichokes and with chocolate ice cream and chocolate ice cream with chocolate sauce and um, chocolate. Uh, just the whole thing was chocolate. And so after that, we went to, to the um, Academy of Music because I had found out that Dame Judith Anderson was doing a one, one woman standing up on stage doing Robinson Jeffers' uh, new version of Medea, the ancient Greek classic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was so excited to go. And, and dad had, and I had been sort of fighting because he didn't want me to be an actor. And I said, no, no, no. And he said, go into advertising. It's like acting. I said, no, no. <laughs> and I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't bend to him, thank God. And so we go to see Dame Judith Anderson on a podium reciting Medea. And she is shaking like this, you know, and like, and I was in heaven. And dad turned to me and in horror and he said, and this is what you want to do for a living? <laughs> I said, yes, yes. And he he said, oh, I know the head of uh, the vice president of ABC. I can get you on Petticoat Junction. Now I'd love to be on the show. And, <laughs> and I was horrified. I said, no, I don't want a sitcom. No, you know, I'm an that's great yeah so that's so my the, the other thing i wanted to know so what was what would be if you if somebody came to you and they said what was uh, and something that influenced you to want to be an actress what what would that have been for you i i don't wish this on anybody but how it happened was my mother went into the hospital uh, for breast cancer. I didn't know I was five years old. They, they didn't even know it was breast cancer, They, but they thought something was wrong. And um, so when she was in, she had a mastectomy ultimately. And um, my father, because I was the oldest, would play while she was in the hospital, um, these incredible musicals, like uh, my favorite was My Fair Lady. 
there was South Pacific, there was uh, Oklahoma. Those were my three tops. And I would listen to these and dance and sing for my father when my mother was in the hospital. And that's why I'm an actress today. <laughs> that's great. I mean, it's, it's, it's not, it's great, but it's not like, it's not great that you did it for your relatives in the hospital, but it's such a, that's a great way to, and that's then a great way to become into it. Dad and I, mom came home and we moved and, you know, and dad and I would, and sometimes a sister would join us. My little sister would join, but we just listened, kept listening to music and I would get up and perform. And that's how it started. So I've been doing it since I was five years old. Awesome. That's only 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I guess tying it back to the book and voice work, yeah. When your book comes out, are you going to be the one doing the audio version? Oh, that's fascinating. I haven't even thought about that. Mike, what an, an interesting idea. <laughs> be like Roy Dutrice and do all the characters? Wow. Yeah. Why not? Jesus, that would be amazing. Yeah, again, you can come on and promote it with us. We'll, we'll play snippets I of it. I would love that. But right now, everybody go to my social media at Diane Louise Salinger. <laughs> you have your choice. I Instagram, I would prefer that because I have only 600 people on that. But also Facebook. And I can't wait to share with you these incredible secrets that I've learned, not only being an actress, but working with Paul Rubens and playing Simone and some of the things that have changed my life. And I would love to share it with people, especially about very few people in the in America and certainly in France, even more so. But very few people in America really do what they love for a living. And that's really important. And they don't realize that if they do the thing that they really love doing, that they'd be far more successful and make more money doing than what they're making now. And they'd certainly be a lot happier. So this is the first thing I'm going to be talking about, about following your dreams. And also Joseph Campbell, who wrote The Power of Myth, and he talked about follow your bliss and the environment will support you. So these are the things I'm going to be sharing with all of my Instagram and Facebook followers. And I'm going to get on TikTok too. He also wrote Heart of Darkness. It's a good book. Hmm? He also wrote Heart of Darkness. Really? Yes. Same guy. Yes. Wow. I put in a lot of I put in a lot of English time for my masters. <laughs> 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 so it's I said the same thing. I was like, that guy wrote the same book? He's the same author. And wait, wait, you like, yeah. I'm like, Joseph wow. Campbell? Yeah. Wrote Heart of Darkness? Yes. Huh. Well, I, th those interviews with Bill Moyers before he passed were just incredible. They changed my life. Yeah, they, they uh, his I I really like Heart of Darkness was the book that actually one of the books that where I saw that you could do more with a book than just have somebody fighting kung fu in it. Because I was always about, I was always about, you know, the, until that point, I, that I was, was every book. I was into the action. I was in the action scenes. I was, I was into writing action, and and I definitely that was my thing. And then I was like, oh wow, you can have like double meaning characters and stuff. This is amazing. I have to be honest with you. I kind of wish you felt that just so for your baseball book, you'd be like, well, I have to kung fu fight somebody. In this. <laughs> Listen, get me into get me into Houston or uh, Arizona right now because of the way the Phillies performed, and I will absolutely kung fu somebody. 
Well, well I, I just saw an incredible um, uh, sci-fi movie, action drama movie, thriller. Um, it's called The Creator, and I went to the theater to see it. And, you know, it's not a typical Marvel comic thing, and it's really, really good. And Denzel Washington's uh, son, um, John David Washington, is the lead in it. And but the, the, he's wonderful in it. And the little girl playing this robot who is the weapon, um, she auditioned for it when she was six and she got the part at seven. And I'm telling you, she should win the uh, Oscar for Best Supporting Actress. She's I heard about this movie. I heard it was really good. Yeah. I was actually just watching a YouTube video. I, about I highly recommend seeing it. It is it's uh, underrated and it's a it's a wonderful movie. And these uh, the all the actors are incredible in it. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm definitely gonna check it out. It's on my list of stuff to check out because the the watching stuff is tough because there's so much of it. But I try and get through it. Yeah. Well, we don't want to take up too much of your time, oh, um, even though we're having a blast talking. Um, I love talking to you guys. Okay, <laughs> let's go for a, a Philly cheese cheese steak. I've never had one. Never. You let, when you're in town, honest to God, you're in town. You let us know. Okay. So you get you get special privileges now that you are officially a brutal dude. Because you are, because you've been on the show. So your special privileges include, you can call us up and come on anytime to promote anything you're working on, or if you just want to shoot the shit with us, you're more than welcome to come on. We would love to talk to you again. Jimmy and Mike, it's been a complete pleasure, dears. Complete pleasure. It's really lovely. I'm so glad, Jimmy, you came up to my table at that con. <laughs> I am too. I'm really glad to hear. <laughs> I was I, I I got the Instagram message and I was like, oh my god, she's gonna come on. And then I didn't hear anything back, and I'm like, she's gonna be at this retrocon. I'm just gonna should I go up? And, and they were like, yeah, go up. And I was like, all right, I'm gonna do that because I and, wanted that picture with the Dukes of Hazard with all the Dukes. And I was like, she's gonna be there too. I'm already going. I'm just gonna say something. And my my sister, my little sister, was like, I don't know if you should say something because I don't know. I feel like that might be like weird. And I was like, no, it's not going to be weird. Don't worry. And then I got there and I'm like, I'm like, I'm just going to do it. And I walked up and it was, it was great. I'm glad we did it. Cause this has been a fantastic conversation. Yeah, exactly. I'm so glad you came up and Mike, it's a pleasure meeting you too, sweetie. Very nice to meet you as well. Enchanté, as Simone would say. <laughs> Bonsoir. Au revoir. Au revoir. Au revoir. This is the end.